Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and for the next half hour, hopefully we can talk about things that are serious, things that are true, things found in God's Word that allow us to meditate on what's right. The world keeps giving us a plethora of messages, so much that it scrambles our mind. I hope this time in the evening is a time where you can relax and think, talk to God, turn this off, fall asleep, Think about things that are true and honorable. Tonight I want to talk about those who don't think correctly about life. Read Psalm 49, where it says this. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die and fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain He is like beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them people approve of their boasts. Selah. Like sheep they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. For he will receive me. Selah. Be not afraid of man becomes rich when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though, while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp yet without understanding is like the beast that perishes. Wow, this is a tough passage. Talks about those of us in life who get so focused on this life and creating a name for ourselves, perhaps a legacy for ourselves. Now that's probably not a good idea. I don't know about you, but there are many people in my life who I thought were larger than life who died many years ago, and I actually haven't thought about them for many, many years. At one point, I thought I would think about them all the time, but I'm not. In fact, this passage uses some words that we don't use or don't even want our children to use at times, where it talks about people who are stupid and foolish. Your Bible does call some people stupid and foolish. It's really stupid to ignore God. It's really foolish to be one who spends time trying to create a kingdom on this world when this is a war zone. See, our citizenship is actually in heaven. It's not down here. 
And for us to spend time trying to create a citizenship down on this earth, we're going to find it's a waste of time. Those who are foolish, or as the passage says, those who walk stupidly, are those who invest a lot of their time and energy into this place for right now. It'll all be lost one day. In many respects, this makes total sense to me, even though at times some of the principles in the Bible are beyond my comprehension. If I'm going to live on this earth to be an average age, which I'm not sure what it is for men these days, but let's say it's 80 years old, then I'm going to be in eternity for 80 billion trillion, and that's the first day. You see, this life is not what it's about. It's about loving God for eternity. This life is a launching pad, a place where God put me so that I could learn what I need to before I enter eternity with him. Then I get to be with him for eternity. Satan keeps trying to make it about the here and the now, the moment. Keeps trying to get us involved in what he's involved in, the destruction of relationship. The destruction of relationship with each other and the destruction of relationship with God. To try and get us to focus on ourselves. You know that you and I were never created to focus on ourselves. When Jesus was asked what was important, he said that we need to love one another. We need to love God with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind. Loving God is actually described well in the Bible. It means that we obey God. So if I'm going to love God, I obey God. You're never told in the Bible that if you love Dave, you obey Dave. But if I love God, I obey God. So part of obedience is really knowing what God says. So I need to spend my time in God's word and learn what he says. And one of the things he says for sure is that this life that you and I live is a temporary existence. This is not home. This is something that he has prepared for us that will prepare us, if we listen to him, for eternity. Think about that. This is something that will prepare us for eternity. He didn't put us down on this earth so that we would spend time making this earth our home. Everything about this earth talks about it being a war zone, a temporary place. We're told that our citizenship is in heaven, not here on earth. This is the temporary place preparing us for the future. If you remember Jesus' dialogue in John chapter 14 where it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, 
Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Even if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then verse 15 of that chapter. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I think that life is a lot simpler than we make it. Trying to look ahead and figure out what is going to come, how we can leave a legacy, how we can leave things to the next generation. Those are all well and good intentions. However, the most important thing I can do in life is know God, stay by his side, walk with him, enjoy him. As I listen to God, as I know what he says and I listen to him, I become one who actually can live life the way it's intended to be. My focus isn't always on this life and the things that I have in this life. In fact, my focus becomes eternal. I start to think like Hebrews chapter 12 about all those witnesses that are watching us. I start to think about those who have gone before who are just as much alive today as they've ever been. They're with the king. I think about how long eternity is and the fact that God, Jesus, has told me that he goes to prepare a place for me. You know, I think it's really foolish or stupid to focus on this world and to focus on things that don't matter. I'm not sure I even know everything that doesn't matter. But I think once I figure it out, it'd be very silly or foolish or stupid of me to focus on it. One of the men I like reading, who is with the Lord now, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who took a stand against Hitler during World War II. He actually called some people stupid and did it in a way that made sense. Here's what he said. He said, when we know something or someone is evil, we can take steps to fight it. With stupidity, it's much more difficult. Dietrich Bonhoeffer argues that stupidity is worse than evil because stupidity can be manipulated and used by evil. He also argues that stupidity tends to go hand in hand with acquiring power. That is, being in power means that we surrender our individual critical faculties. Stupidity, though, is a different problem altogether. We cannot so easily fight stupidity for two reasons. First, we are collectively much more tolerant of it. Unlike evil, stupidity is not a vice most of us take seriously. We do not lambast others for ignorance. We do not scream down people for not knowing things. Secondly, the stupid person is a slippery opponent. They will not be beaten by debate or open to reason. What's more, when the stupid person has their back against the wall, 
when they're confronted with facts that cannot be refuted. They snap and lash out. Bonhoeffer puts it this way. Neither protests nor the use of force accomplish anything here. Reasons fall on deaf ears. Facts that contradict one's prejudgment simply do not be believed. In such moments, the stupid person even becomes critical. And when facts are irrefutable, they are just pushed aside as inconsequential, as incidental. In all of this, the stupid person, in contrast to the malicious one, is utterly self-satisfied, and being easily irritated becomes dangerous by going on the attack. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, Stupidity, like evil, is no threat as long as it hasn't got power. We laugh at things when they are harmless, such as my brother's ignorance of a reindeer. This won't cause me any pain, therefore, it's funny. The problem with stupidity, though, is that it often goes hand-in-hand with power. Bonhoeffer writes, Upon closer observation, it becomes apparent that every strong upsurge of power in the public sphere, be it political or religious in nature, infects a large part of humankind with stupidity. This works in two ways. The first is that stupidity does not disbar you from holding office or authority. History and politics are swimming with examples of when the stupid have risen to the top and where the smart are excluded or killed. Second, the nature of power requires that people surrender certain faculties necessary for intelligent thought, faculties like independence, critical thinking, and reflection. Bonhoeffer's argument is that the more someone becomes part of the establishment, the less an individual they become. The charismatic, exciting outsider bursting with intelligence and sensible policies becomes an imbecile in the moment he takes office. It's as if slogans, catchwords, and the like have taken possession of him. He's under a spell, blinded, misused, and abused in his very being. But stupidity is much harder to weed out. That's why it's a dangerous weapon because evil people find it hard to take power. They need stupid people to do their work. Well, that's interesting. Once again, let me repeat what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. But stupidity is much harder to weed out. That's why it's a dangerous weapon, because evil people find it hard to take power. They need stupid people to do their work. Of course, remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer was living in the time of World War II and Hitler was in charge. There were millions of Jewish people that were being slaughtered. People were convinced that Hitler was right or they wouldn't have been slaughtering those people. Somehow, somebody didn't think this through to the end. Christians have always been persecuted, and I think it's because there are people who think it through as they read God's word. Think about it. Everybody you know has perspective. Everybody you know has things they like and don't like and have come to conclusions for some reason on almost everything. God doesn't have perspective. The king can say whatever the king wants to say or a president in our day and age. And if he doesn't line up or she doesn't line up with what God has said, then the king or the president is wrong. Now, the king can make a law against 
thinking he or she is wrong. But that doesn't work if you're one who follows God. God always trumps everybody's opinion because God doesn't have one. God always trumps everybody's perspective because God doesn't have one. So right now, the world can talk all they want about whether abortion should be legal or not. And I will tell you that abortion is wrong because I find in the Bible that there should be no need for abortion and that God considers life in the womb life. He tells us that while we were in the womb, he formed us. I really don't care now what the Supreme Court says or our legislative body or the president or my local law enforcement agencies because abortion is murder and will always be murder and there's no way they're going to be able to talk me out of it. Now, they may be able to come and say that it is legal to get an abortion and I have no argument against that. The argument is that I am not doing abortion. Abortion will always be murder, and you can legalize murder if you want, but it's still murder. And that's really the point. No wonder Christians have been persecuted through the years. The basic fundamental in society is really the family. And government can go after that as well. They can define a family as two homosexual people, or they can define a family any way they want, yet God has already defined a family. God has already defined what marriage is about. Marriage is between one woman and one man who are dedicated to each other for life. Not only dedicated to each other, but committed to each other as well. When you commit to something, there's nothing in this world other than death that should separate you. And if you do this marriage thing according to the way it was created by God, then you are committed. You are, you're not in an arrangement with somebody. You're committed for life. Therefore, the government can define or redefine marriage any way they want. And I will tell them they're wrong. Because marriage is between one man and one woman who are committed to each other for life. And that's the biblical definition. Once again, it won't matter what the Supreme Court says, and it does not matter what the President says, it doesn't matter what the Congress says. That is what God's Word says, and God's Word trumps all of them, because God alone knows truth. I can go and I can talk to those in the science communities, and we can talk about the origin of life and and how the earth came into existence. And they can start talking about all these kinds of theories and ideas, and they certainly are welcome to hold those. However, I will go back to the scriptures where it says, In the beginning, God, and God created the heavens and the earth. I don't need to understand how he created it all. I don't need to understand all of how power is exerted just through the speech of God. But I do know that he created it all that he created man from the dust of the ground, that he breathed into man the breath of life, that he took woman from the rib of man, that he made man and woman different, not one better, not one worse than the other, but different. You see, I'm going against a lot of norms of culture. And the reason I'm going against the norms of a culture is because I know what God's word says. And once again, I say, no wonder Christians have been persecuted through history. 
They refuse to be foolish or stupid. They refuse to go along with a crowd. They refuse to go along with the majority just because it's the majority. They don't do that. They realize that our smartest thought is equal to God's dumbest, and no matter what God says, he's going to be right in what he says. It's important for me to be able to know God's word, therefore I need to read God's word. And if you're a believer, you have your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should be reading God's word and knowing what he says. If you're afraid of the culture around you, that's probably warranted to a certain degree. However, you need to remember that the Bible also tells us that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and like rivers of water, he moves it wherever he wishes. God is still going to be in control no matter what the government does. My responsibility is not to compromise with the government. My responsibility is not to compromise with religious leaders who see things differently. My responsibility is to walk with God and to listen to him and to realize that the truth, he is the truth, not the government. And this could be for any country. I happen to be in the United States of America where I still have the freedom to talk like I'm talking. I have the freedom of speech according to the Constitution. I have freedom of religion according to the Constitution. But that doesn't mean I'll be free from persecution. Because what happens when you stand up and you take a stand in a culture like ours, you get labeled as divisive and hateful. You you get labeled as a monger of some sort. And that's not true. I think that God knows what he did in creation and that all of us need to submit to him or we're the fools. God's dumbest thought is still smarter than my smartest. He's older than I am and smarter than I am and loves me. I can trust him. For those that want to live their life apart from God, you have the freedom to do that. I think it's foolish. I can even go as far as saying I think it's stupid to do that. However, you have the freedom to do that. And one day we'll see if what you have decided to believe is correct. As I go through God's word, I realize that I am not the one that makes the final call in the world. I'm going to live a certain amount of years. I'm going to die. And the Bible tells me that after I die on this earth, physically die, after that comes judgment. There's no way to avoid death. And everybody who's listening to the sound of my voice, you do realize there's no way to avoid it. Therefore, you need to be prepared for it. I often think about the idea of eternity when somebody talks to me about retirement. They talk about how responsible you need to be during life to be thinking about those years where possibly you'll need more income to take care of yourself because you can't work the full day that you used to work. They talk about being responsible to your family and being responsible to society by making sure you have enough put away. And I think perhaps. If I do retire, that might be a third of my life. That's not very many years. There's an eternity coming up that's going to be forever. If it's responsible for me in this life to prepare for a very short time they call retirement, 
then it would be even more responsible for me to prepare for eternity. In fact, I could back that up and say it would be stupid of me to ignore eternity. It would be foolish of me to ignore eternity. I think as I go through the Bible, I realize that Satan just looks for that weak link to try and pound at, because if one link breaks, the whole chain is worthless. To get us to focus on this moment, to get us to focus on this day, to get us to focus on the temporary, and think that we're doing a good job and being responsible. Perhaps too much focus on the moment makes us foolish, not responsible. Perhaps those people who are most responsible in life are those who have a very long-term view. They're looking at life through the lens of eternity, through the lens of being a child of God who has given us significance in the way that he created us. He provides us security in the fact that nobody can ever take away from us what he has given to us without him allowing it. God is the ultimate force in the universe, not anyone else. And he's always right. He has no perspective. He has no opinions. And if I don't want to be foolish or stupid, what I should do is spend my time getting to know who God is, getting to know what he said about mankind, and adjusting my life according to what he says. And as I do that, I will find the significance I lack. I will find the peace that I lack. And in that process, I will hear people say things that don't make sense. Talking about killing unborn babies, to me, doesn't make any sense if you live in a culture that you think is civilized. To think that people would go and get themselves pregnant and then want to kill the child that's being formed in their womb is beyond my comprehension. And I think that it will always be beyond my comprehension. I understand what God has said. I also understand what our government says, what the Supreme Court and federal courts and appellate courts say. I understand what the local authorities say. And I think that I am always obligated to respect those in authority. I'm obligated to pay the taxes, and I'm obligated to be a positive part of society that I live in. But I'm not obligated to be foolish or stupid. And anyone who doesn't listen to Almighty God falls in that category. And it's a choice that they have made. We make choices in life. We're not forced to think a certain way. Someone might say we are, but I've told children all along through the years that nobody can force you to do anything. They say, oh, yes, they can. If they put a gun to my head and tell me to give me all the money, they forced me to give them my money. And I would say, no, they didn't. You could take a shot to the head, or you could take them, give them your money. That's your choice. But you still have choice. You and I are people that may not like all the choices that we see all the time. But we do have choice, and we need to choose the truth. We need to choose what Jesus says, what God says. We need to choose to be people who know what God says and live by what God says if we want to find peace, security, significance in this world in which we live.
Those who don't know God cannot live correctly because we were made to know him and reflect who he is to the world around us. And if we choose to ignore him, there's no possible way to live in the scope of eternity. There's no possible way to live as we were meant to live. There's no possible way to enjoy life the way God meant us to enjoy this life. Jesus, when asked why he came, said he came to give us life. He didn't even say he came to give us eternal life, although that's it. But he came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. He didn't make it so that we just cope. Well, there's our music for tonight. Hopefully you understand the heart and the message that I wanted to share tonight. I really want us to be people who know God and listen to Him, and therefore be very smart in life. Well, I'm Dave Wager, and I'm here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolet Bible Institute. I thank those who support this work and look forward to talking to you again real soon. Good night for now.